I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 18. Psalm 18. This morning we will take a look at the first 19 verses, and then tonight, Lord willing, we will cover verses 20 to 50. Psalm 18. Beginning with the inspired title here, I would ask you to hear and receive the Word of God and to receive it by faith. To the choir master, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who addressed the words of this song to the Lord on the day when the Lord rescued him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice and my cry to him, and my cry to him reached his ears. Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations also of the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He came swiftly on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him. Thick clouds, dark with water. Out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coals of fire broke through the clouds. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered His voice, hailstones and coals of fire, and He sent out His arrows and scattered them. He flashed forth lightnings and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen, and the foundations of the world were laid bare. At your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from among, from my strong enemy and from those who hated me. For they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. There ends the reading of God's word for this morning. May he add his blessing to it. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, we are in a battle. And I know some of you boys and girls are taking notes for catechism class, so in that little space right under the title, you might want to write, we are in a battle. 
That battle began already at the beginning of the world, or shortly thereafter, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, when God spoke to the serpent way back in the beginning, and he says, I will put enmity, that is, I will put fighting, he was speaking to the devil, and he says, I will put fighting between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, and he will crush your head, and you will crush his heel. That was the beginning of that war between Satan and Christ, between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. But that battle continues on. We read even today in Ephesians chapter 6 that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of darkness in high places. Congregation, we are in a battle. As we come to Psalm 18, I want you to recognize that this is an inspiration to us to pray in the midst of that battle. My hope is that by the end of today, you come to Psalm 18 and you feel inspired. You say, I want to pray. I feel the need to pray. And I can't wait to come to God to pray because He is the God who answers prayer. You see, Psalm 18... Psalm 18 comes at a very strategic point in David's life, and it is placed at a very strategic point in the book of Psalms. This morning, as we take a look at Psalm 18, we come to realize how it is that Yahweh, that is the covenant God, rescues the kingdom, not just any kingdom, not even just David's kingdom, but ultimately this is the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ that is moving forward. And as we see that rescue... I want us to learn this lesson. It's this lesson. When, when God answers your prayers. If you're taking notes, that's the first blank that you want to fill in. When God answers your prayers. And what are these prayers for? These are prayers for God's kingdom. Prayers for God's kingdom. You see, David in Psalm 18 doesn't pray simply as an individual. David prays as a representative of the kingdom of God. David prays as the one who is anointed by God. David prays as as a shadow of the Jesus Christ King who is yet to come, who now is at the right hand of God the Father, who prays for us. So that when we see the prayer of David, in a sense, we see a reflection of the prayer of Jesus. And as we see the prayer of David answered in Psalm 18, we are reminded that the prayers of Jesus are even more sure to be answered on our behalf. So Psalm 18 is an inspiration to pray because God answers. Psalm 18 inspires us to trust Jesus as our King Not any old king, but as a king priest who also prays on our behalf. So, we pray for God's kingdom. Notice this. I've already said that David is our kingdom representative, but if you go back to the title of the psalm, Psalm 18, this is the longest superscription. By superscription, we mean the writing above the psalm. And you notice it's all in in the small capital letters, that is to indicate that it was part of the original psalm. It is not something that the editors have added to the psalm, but it, it has been handed down to us, and so even that heading is inspired, and we ought to treat it as such. And it gives us the context. 
It says to the choir master, a psalm of of David, the servant of the Lord, who addressed the words of this song to the Lord on the day when the Lord rescued him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. Now, you will find Psalm 18 repeated almost verbatim, in other words, word for word, in 2 Samuel 22. 2 Samuel 22. Well, 2 Samuel is all about the life of David. The first 10 chapters deal with the the triumphs of David. And then right in the middle of, of 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 11 deals with the transgression of David. And then after the transgression, you have from chapters 12 all the way to 23, the troubles of David. But kind of as an appendix to David's life, kind of in the concluding chapters there of David's ministry and David's calling, you have Psalm 18. You see, it's kind of the the capstone of David's life and it tells the story of how God used David in spite of his failings. David has been praying for the kingdom. So that's the place of Psalm 18 in the life of David, but I also want you to notice the place of Psalm 18 in the Psalms themselves. Beginning with Psalm 3, David begins to wrestle against the enemies such as Absalom. And from 3, 4, all the way to Psalm 17, David is praying for deliverance from the enemies. And now we come to Psalm 18 as if to say, here is finally the answer to all of those prayers that David has been praying. You see, he's been praying for the kingdom. Congregation, this morning as we approach this psalm, let us be mindful that God is a God who answers prayers. He answered the prayer of David. Think about it, all the enemies that David conquered. Started off with Goliath. Boys and girls, you remember that. Where David stands before Goliath and says, you come against me with your swords and your spears, but I come against you in in the name of the Lord. That was David's strength. And then, of course, as David's life goes on, eventually he has to deal with Saul, who hunts David for much of Saul's reign. We don't know how many years, but it was quite a few years that David was running and fleeing for his life. And then even after he had had gained the kingdom, his own son Absalom raised up a, a rebellion against his dad, and his dad had to bring his army to go against his own son Absalom. And now at the end, here is this prayer. God, I am giving you this prayer because you have delivered me from all of these enemies. And when we see the deliverance of David, we have to say to ourselves, God is the one who establishes his kingdom. And he's still doing that today, by the way. Well, when God answers your prayers for God's kingdom, what should we do? This is letter B. We are to rejoice in God. And that's exactly what David does in verses 1 through 3. You notice verse 1, he says, I love you. I love you. Sometimes we're pretty tight-fisted with those words. Sometimes we're hesitant to say it to our brothers or our sisters. 
Sometimes we're even hesitant to say it to our dads and our moms. Maybe even husbands and wives. When's the last time you said to your husband, to your wife, I love you? David says this now to God. God, I love you. And he says, he says I love you. Why? Because you are my strength. And then in verse 2, he tries to picture that. What does that look like to me? And he gives out a number of figures of speech, a number of, of, of pictures that we can picture in our mind. In verse 2 he says, the Lord is my rock. And so he thinks of this rock that never moves. The storms come, the winds blow, but it never moves. He also says in verse 2, you're my fortress. Now, we don't oftentimes think in those terms, but you're my homeland security. You're the wall around my city. You're the watchtower that keeps us safe. That's how he pictures God. And then he goes on to say in verse 2, he mentions rock again, and he says, the one in whom I take refuge. Boys and girls, I'm not sure how you do it here, but it wasn't that long ago in the summer months where there was a stormy day in our community and the sirens go off. And so we don't have a basement, but we climb down into our crawl space. Why? We were preparing for a storm that could possibly rip our house out and we needed a place to be safe. That's how David pictures God. God, when the storms come, we're going to go to the storm cellar. We're going to go to our basement. We're going to go to the crawl space where we will be safe, a refuge. That's how David is picturing God. And then he goes on to say, he's my shield, right? When guys went out to battle, they would have two different kinds of shields. A smaller one that made them more mobile, but they could deflect the, the spear throws. But also a larger shield that they could hide behind so that when the arrows were coming, they could be safe. God, you're my shield. And then he goes on to say, you are the horn of my salvation. The horn was the, the things that grow out of, a, out of a bull's head. And it's the horns that enable the bull to, to go on the offense and to fight and, and to defend himself. God, you are the one who has horns and able to protect me. Remember, David grew up in an agricultural community. And then he finally says, you are my salvation and my stronghold. Now, David gives us these pictures as a pattern for us. How can we talk about God? How can we talk about our safety? How can we talk about our security? And we would do well to come up with pictures from our own culture, from our own society to say, here's where I feel safest, and that's what God is like to me. That's what David does in his praise. That's how he rejoices in God and that leads him to this confession in verse 3. He says, I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. In one sense, that is now the theme. That is now the theme of Psalm 18. 
And for the rest of this morning and tonight, we are going to see how it was that God delivered David, not only to see what he, he did for David, but to see how he, he answers prayer so that we might be inspired to pray as well. So how do you rejoice in God? You rejoice in God, and this is now the third detail there, and that is you rejoice in God by telling your story. By telling your story. Congregation, I want you to begin thinking about what is your story. Not just how has your life gone, but how can you tell your story in such a way that you acknowledge that God is the one who has brought you to be where you are today, particularly as a believer. Well, what is David's story? Look at verse 4. He says in verse 4, The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. You notice that? The cords, the snares. He pictures his life as being tied up and then thrown into the water. I suspect our young people here and our boys and girls know how to swim. It's really not safe to live in West Michigan with as much water as you have here and not know how to swim. But imagine this, kids. Imagine if you were tied up with ropes so that you couldn't move your hands and you couldn't move your legs and you were thrown off the end of the dock. Frightening. You know how to swim. But you can't get your arms up. You can't get your legs out. And so you just kind of sink to the bottom. That's how David thinks about his experience with his enemies. He felt helpless. Here he was running day and night from Saul. Then Absalom comes along and David has to run out of the city in order to keep his, his life and to preserve it. And he runs. He says, it was like being tied up and being thrown off the end of the dock and I can't swim in this way. I don't have the strength in me to fight against the, the Absaloms and his army and against Saul and his army. And so he lays it before the Lord. Congregation, are you laying your need before the Lord today? What is it? What is your need? It may not seem that there are enemies surrounding you, but never forget that Satan roams around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Are you laying that before God and saying, God, Satan wants me? And maybe some of you say, I know the exact temptation that is, is, in a sense, chasing me. You know your area of weakness and you need to see this as the battle for which it is. And you need to now come before God and say, God, here is my need. I feel like I'm tied up and thrown off the end of the dock. And I don't feel that I can overcome this temptation because I keep coming back to it again and again, and again, and I find myself falling, and I feel like I'm down there at the bottom of the lake, and I just can't seem to overcome. 
We are in a battle. Lay your need before God. What did David do? Look at verse 6. He says, In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help, as if to say, You also ought to do the same. And then notice this. Again, this is kind of a summary of what he's going to get into in the rest of the psalm. But he says, from his temple, he heard my voice. And my cry to him reached his ears. Congregation, do you ever pray and feel like your prayers are never getting higher than the ceiling? Are there ever times when you pray and it feels like you're just talking to yourself and you say, is this just self-talk or is somebody actually listening? And David is saying, when you pray, be assured that God, even though he is in heaven, he hears. Now keep in mind that in David's day there was not yet a temple built and therefore very likely what David is thinking of here is not an earthly temple but heaven itself. In fact, if you turn back with me to chapter 11, Psalm 11, verse 4. Psalm 11, verse 4. He says, The Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, His eyelids test the children of men. The point I'm getting at is, David viewed the the heavenly realm as God's temple. And now David on earth says, when I cried, God actually heard me wherever the heavenly place is, far away, I believe that God has heard me and my words actually reached his ear. God hears prayer. Congregation, this is the story that we want to be able to tell. And that means that when you pray, you need to pray purposefully, pray deliberately, but then observe your life. Where are those answers to prayer? This might sound silly to you, but it's very simple. There was a day this week when I was running late getting out of the house and I could not find my shoes. And I had looked in all the places where I thought I might have taken them off. And then it dawned on me, I should at least pray about this. And silently I prayed, Lord, help me to find my shoes. And once you know it, God answered by sending my wife to say, here they are. But there was a circumstance that came up that caused me to take my shoes off at a time that I usually wouldn't take them off and put them in a place that I usually wouldn't put them, and that's what happened. And I couldn't find them, but God answered. You see, we don't have to be in the crisis of life before we pray to God, but to lay our concerns before Him. So what is your story? You've heard mine. I want to hear yours. So when God answers your prayer for God's kingdom, you are to rejoice in God by telling your story. And now we come to what was Yahweh's answer to David? And this, in a sense, is the exciting part of the psalm. David has set us up. He's told us the circumstances, at least in a picturesque form. And now he says, what I've been waiting to tell you is how God answered my prayer. 
So look at this. Yahweh's answer has an impact on us. First of all, it ought to inspire us to worship. It ought to inspire us to worship. In verses 7 through 15, we have David's answer to prayer. Now, first of all, notice this in verse 7. Then, (laughs) I prayed, God answered, and when God answered, this is what happened. He says, then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations also of the mountains trembled and quaked. Why? Because God was angry. Congregation, have you ever thought that when you pray, the God of the universe who created the world answers, and when he answers, it's as though he shakes the world. When we pray, we are talking to the one who is able to keep the world in its motion. When we talk to God, we are are talking to the one who causes the, the volcanoes to erupt and the earthquakes to shake the land. That's the one who is listening when we pray. Now when it says that God is angry... It doesn't mean that he lost his temper and just kind of flew off the handle. God's anger is very deliberate. God's anger is always a response to the injustices of this world. And as we think of David, David was being treated unjustly when Saul tried to hunt him down. You remember the instances in David's life? David called Saul on this question and he says, look... I'm like a flea. I'm not out here to hurt you. I'm not out here to challenge you. I'm not here to take away your kingdom. Why do you treat me that way? And Saul had to acknowledge that David was right. But David, when he prays, recognizes that God is answering his cry. Because David cries from a standpoint of being dealt an injustice by the souls of this world, by the Absaloms of this world, and now he lays it before God. Congregation, I suspect that there are those in the congregation today who are dealing with some deep hurts in your lives. And when we face those deep hurts, It sometimes feels like that is unfair. It's more than what I can handle. More than what I deserve. And maybe some of your hurts even involve people who have treated you in a wrong way. You need to know that the God of the universe sees your situation and that the God of the universe is your judge. And as the judge, he will bring about vindication. He will bring about a judgment one day. And therefore, you do not have to take the law into your own hands. But God is the one who will respond with his correct justice of anger at the appointed time. But that's what David sees here. And then he goes on to describe in cataclysmic terms how it was that God answered his prayer. Now try to imagine this. Right When I was praying for my lost shoes, to think that the God who was able to do all these things is the God who answered my prayer. 
Verse 8, he says, Smoke went out from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth, glowing coals flamed forth from him. Boys and girls, you understand what he's describing there? He's describing an ancient dinosaur. Not because God looks like a dinosaur, not even because God has a nose, not even because smoke comes out of God's nostrils, but it's trying to describe what would be the most fearsome creature that David could think of, and it was a dinosaur, and he describes it in this way. That's what God is like in His anger. When He answers on my behalf, He is like that mighty dinosaur. And then he goes on in verse 9 to say this. He bowed the heavens and he came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub. A cherub is another name for some heavenly being like an angel. You see, the angel was like his horse for battle. And he flew. He came swiftly on the wings of the wind. And I think what David is trying to capture here in verses 9 and 10 is that when David cried out to God and when God finally came, it was fast and it was furious and God came with such presence and such power that he was able to deliver David from his circumstance. And then he goes on to describe it in this way. In verse 11, he made his darkness his covering, his canopy around him. Thick clouds, dark with water. Out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coals of fire broke through his clouds. Kind of reminds you of what we read about in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah when God rained down these hailstones on Sodom and Gomorrah to destroy them and to finish them off. That's how David pictures the defeat of his enemies and how God answered his prayer. Cataclysmic, wonderful, powerful. And then he says this in verse 13. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered His voice. Reminds me when I was a child, and I remember being scared of the, uh, of the peals of thunder. All of a sudden, it would just crack. And I remember one day my mom telling me, Kenny, that's God speaking. You don't have to be afraid. That's how David pictures God answering his prayer, thunder and lightning. And then verse 14 it says, And he sent out his arrows and scattered them. He flashed forth lightnings and routed them. How is it that his enemies finally turned away? God did it. God did it. That's how David was delivered, right, from Absalom. God caused Absalom to go under a tree and his long hair got stuck. That was God's doing. When Saul was in the cave with David, Saul didn't know it. Why? Because God kept David safe. When Saul was chasing him and Saul fell asleep and they came into the camp and took his spear and his water jug, God was with David. And David now sees it in these cataclysmic terms. And so he says in verse 15, and this reminds us of of Moses and the Exodus, then the channels of the sea were seen and the foundations of the world were laid bare at your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. What does he see? He, he, He envisions, 
He envisions his deliverance like Moses and the Israelites going through the Red Sea when God blew it back and he made a dry path down on the bottom of the sea. They were able to pass through on dry land with the waters on either side. David didn't have that experience, but when he tries to describe and tries to grasp how it is that God delivered him, he brings these pictures from the past and he brings them in and he says, this was like my exodus. In one sense, this is how we are to envision our own experience, our own deliverance. We are to imagine the power of prayer in the power of a mighty God who delivers in this way. And when we do, when we envision God acting with this power, do you see how that inspires worship? This is the God that I want to worship. This is the God that I want to come to in prayer. I can't wait to speak to this God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly of all that we ask or think. And what does it look like? The earth shook. Fire and hail came down. The world was shaken. That's how David sees the answer to his prayer and it inspires our worship. And so Yahweh's answer not only inspires worship, But finally, Yahweh's answer also ensures rescue, rescue. Look at what David says in verses 16 through 19. In verse 16, he says, he sent me from on high, he took me. And I need to um, transpose the Hebrew for you here. In your Bibles, it says he drew me out. But in Hebrew, it says he Mosesed me. He Mosesed me. The name Moses means drawn out. Boys and girls, remember how Moses was there in the, in the basket and it was Pharaoh's daughter who came and it said that she drew him out of the water and that's why he was called Moses. David is borrowing this language, the Moses language. And he says, just as Moses was, in a sense, picked up out of the basket in the water, God did that kind of a miraculous thing for me when he delivered me from my enemies. It was though I was a helpless baby floating in the Nile River, ready to be drowned by Pharaoh, and there I was, and I was drawn out by a most unlikely person, Pharaoh's daughter. David says, God did the same for me when he delivered me from my enemies. Now, maybe you have never been in the same situation as Moses in a tiny basket waiting to be drowned. Maybe you have never been hunted like David was by Saul and by Absalom. But the older I get and the more that I reflect it back on my life, I realize how God has delivered me. Sometimes it was in very small ways. At the time, it seemed very inconsequential. Like the day when I got my mouth washed out with palm olive soap for saying things that I should not have said as a little boy. What was God doing? God was delivering me. God was scooping me out, and he happened to use 
a dish rag, and palm olive soap. Look back on your own lives. It may seem kind of ordinary that you are here today. Maybe you've grown up in a Christian home, and maybe it just seems the next logical step to be where you are today. But congregation, don't miss the supernatural work of God that He has done in even these small, seemingly ordinary events of your life whereby He steered you, pulled you back, corrected you, realigned you, and kept you on that path. Think about the people that God has sent in your life to draw you back and to move you back onto that path. Many of those words of correction, maybe you don't even remember receiving, but you did, and and God has now led you in that path. Or maybe for some of you, it was more cataclysmic. Maybe you are going the wrong direction and God put something in your path. This has been the story of many of my students who are now in prison. They don't like being in prison, but many of them will tell me it was the best thing that ever happened to them because if they were still out on the streets, they would probably be dead because a lot of the people that they were dealing with and friends with out on the street, they are dead. And the other thing they say is, when I got into prison, it was here that God used this to help me to start thinking clearly and to think soberly about the realities of life. And maybe you have a story of how God put a a blockade in your life to turn you back in a very dramatic way. You see, David recounts his life and he says, it was like a Moses moment for me when he drew me out of many waters. He goes on to say in verse 17, he rescued me from my strong enemies and from those who hated me. And who were those who hated him? Absalom hated him. Saul hated him. Goliath hated him. But I want you to know, congregation, that there is someone who hates you too. Satan hates you. His demons hate you. And Satan wants you. He doesn't want you to follow God. You have a strong enemy, and therefore we need a strong protection You have somebody who hates you, and therefore you need to know that there is somebody who loves you, and that one who loves you is God. And what God has done in order to rescue you from the strength of the enemy is that He gave His only begotten Son. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Do you believe that that is true of you? That's what the Bible calls you to believe. It is true. Believe that, Christian. Embrace it. You see, Yahweh's answer to David not only inspires worship, but it ensures rescue. And David speaks of that rescue at the end of verse 18 as well. He says, those enemies were too many for me. And in fact, he goes on in verse 18 to say this, they confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. How many temptations have you come to that you were able to say no to? How many temptations have you stumbled, but God brought you back? They confronted you. They were too many, but God rescued you. You've got a story. And then verse 19 says this. What did God do? He brought me out into a broad place. In other words, a flat place. He rescued me. Why? Not because David was so delightful, but because God delighted in him. Dear Christian, 
Those of you who confess Jesus Christ, do you believe that God delights in you? That's what David says. Why have I been rescued? God loves me. He delights in me. He has come after me when I wouldn't go after him. Christian, why are you in the faith today? It's because God delights in you. Let me say this before we close. If there is anyone here today who is still wandering away from God, who is still under the dominion of the prince of the power of the air, if there is anyone who is still walking deliberately in your own sin without any intention to turn back and to turn away, let me say to you that God's wrath is severe on those who do not love God. And today is the day to turn. Today is the day to look to the Lord Jesus Christ and to believe that God would rescue you even from a hardened heart, from a disobedient life, from a heart that says, I just don't care about God. Begin today by praying that God would deliver you from such a heart that is hardened. Tonight, congregation, we're going to go into greater detail as to how God answered David's prayer so that we might be further inspired to pray to him. But for now, the challenge is to remember Jesus is the one who intercedes for us as David prayed against his enemies. Picture your own salvation with these pictures that we have in verses 2 and 3. Get ready to tell your story of how God has answered your prayers, both large and small. And as you think about how God responds to David's prayer, may it lead you to worship. And also may you be assured that God is able to deliver you. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the God who responds with righteous anger at the injustices in our world. Father, we pray that we would know that you are the God who is able to deliver us because of Jesus. May you strengthen our faith in him. And may we be assured that Jesus is our Savior and that he has taken us out of the kingdom of darkness. May we be assured that he has taken us from under the dominion of the power of Satan so that we might be free to love you and to serve you. May you strengthen us in this faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.